This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and this is Backstage Pass, a special episode where we chat to one of our Patreon supporters about their path through metal and an album that's special to them. Today's guest is Justin Stanton. Say hello, Justin. Hi, everyone. Good to speak to you. And, uh, oh yeah, good to speak to you. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on your toes there. That's all right. <laughs> uh, so, go on, Brian, you were going to say something. I was just going to say that the, the album that Justin is bringing us today to talk about is none other than my favorite Iron Maiden album, Somewhere in Time. Oh, this is your favorite album. Oh, wow. It is. I think we talked about in the episode that we did, oh, uh, Number we, of the Beast. Right, yeah. That if I had chosen an album, it probably would have been this one. Excellent. All right. Well, let's get to that later. For now, let's kick off with, uh, Justin, tell us, like, how did you get into metal? What was your, what was your way in? Um, well, I've been brought up not in a musical family in that sense, but a, a family that loved music. Um, my parents were, uh, too old to be hip, but too young to be square. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I, I was born in 1970. I was brought up to the echoes of, you know, Beatles and Stones. Um, you know, as, as I grew up through the seventies and eighties, it was, you know, ELO, Wild West Hero is still one of my Desert Island discs. Queen, they, they were the first gig I went to at Wembley Stadium in '86, uh, and 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 Dire Straits really through through that, that late '70s sort of early to mid '80s period, and I think sometime in '86, uh, uh, it was it was a Friday night. Um, I started going through my parents' LPs. Um, there was Led Zeppelin four, uh, and also you know two of the great live albums, um, Thin Lizzy's Live and Dangerous. Uh, it was intriguing to hear you guys mention uh, Thin Lizzy uh, on the last podcast, the one before that, uh, and uh, ACDC's If You Want Blood, um, uh, which you know, they both knocked me out. Um, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, I don't know what hit hardest, the, you know, the sound of the crowd or the sheer excitement of the songs. Uh, again, you, you guys mentioned Emerald recently, and you know, and the version of that on Live and Dangerous is stunning. Um, and then with with the ACDC stuff, you know, the the, the speed of Angus's um, playing, you know, left me breathless. Um, so that, yeah, that 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 was kind of where it. I was, you know, moving to the harder rock territory, and then you know, you get into the sort of second half of '86 and into '87. You know some of the that modern glam rock, hair metal, Bon Jovi, Europe. You know, topping the charts in the UK. Um, Gary Moore had quite a few um, singles off the Wild Frontier album, and all of that uh, sort of coalesced. And then in the summer of '87, um, I think it was uh, my school friend Duncan uh, played me a cassette copy of Somewhere in Time. Ah. Um, so it's so so we're actually talking about my very first uh metal album that we all agree was definitely metal um and it, it, it just blew me away ah oh, that's fantastic yeah listen listening to your dad's albums while they were out the house i did used to do the same thing that was how i got into <laughs> motorhead and black sabbath that was it man <laughs> yeah which is really interesting because I, that my parents were never into uh heavier stuff they pretty much listen to mainstream music all the time. And so for me, I ended up finding it through my schoolmates and my older cousin, who was a few years older than me. 
Yeah, my my interest certainly intensified through my schoolmates, but it was it was definitely yeah listening to my my dad's uh, hard rock and sort of yeah proto metal like Motorhead stuff that really got me set me off on the path, man. So the <laughs> the first album, the first metal album that you listen to is Somewhere in Time, which yeah, yeah. I mean it's I've said before it's not my favorite Maiden album, but it is it's a very good Maiden album. It's one of their best for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was vaguely aware of Maiden. Obviously, you know, I'd seen the Run to the Hills video on Top of the Pops. Who had Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, you know, I certainly heard the song on the radio on the you know the Sunday Sunday evening chart rundown, all that stuff that used to happen. Um, and uh, there was a um, there was a documentary program uh, every week uh, um, or nearly every week through through the mid eighties. Uh, Jonathan King's Entertainment USA. Uh, which was a uh, you know, Jonathan King for uh, Brian's and, and non-UK audiences w- was a big name DJ from the sixties and seventies uh, in the UK and uh, music guru, uh, and uh, so he had a program all about what was happening in the on the US music scene. Um, and I think it would probably been a bit of um, you know the uh, footage from the world slavery from um, Live After Death. Uh, video, I think they screened along with an, uh, uh, an interview with Bruce Dickinson. So I was kind of vaguely aware of them, but 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 you know not uh, not 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 into them you know, at, at that time when I, when I when I first came across it. That wasn't the footage of Dickinson practicing his fencing and being interviewed I, while he was on the exercise uh, bike, was it? Yeah, I, I remember it, that, dude. <laughs> I so remember that. Yeah, such a bizarre. I, yeah, that will always stick with me. Yeah, I remember him talking about like you know the glory days of like all the drink and drugs while he was on the exercise bike. Saying, but of course you can't do that anymore these days because you die. <laughs> right, <laughs> particularly when you're in your sixties, as they are. Um, right, yeah. As we forget now. Um, so what, think- what was it about the about the album? Because you obviously, yeah, if you liked hard rock, you know, Thin Lizzy and stuff. That's an ACDC. That's a good sort of gateway. But what was it particularly yeah. about? This album then that made you go, ah, oh, I'm going to go in this sort of heavier direction. Well, I, I, I think you. Know, so you, know, my musical mindset at the time was, you know, the perfectly arranged compositions of Mark Knopfler, you know, pomp and circumstance of ELO, you know, the grandeur of Queen, and, and so on. And then I heard the opening to Court Somewhere in Time. Um, I've always had a leaning towards the dramatic and that slow build up of the the dual harmony guitars. You know, going into that fast gallop, um, just grab me by the short and curlies, um, you know, and, and then you get, you know, eventually, you know, a minute or whatever in, you finally get Bruce's voice, which again, I don't think I really heard anyone sing like that before. <laughs> um, possibly nor since in some ways. Um, uh, but also, and, and this is possibly a controversial point. Um, uh, the actual, the, the production sound, so in particular, the guitar synth, the, uh-huh. um, the keytars. Um, now, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, think that was redundant and not necessary and maybe that, that demeans the album in some way. But as a maiden virgin, you know, for me, that, that sounded like the sound of the future. I totally agree with you. Like for me, that was also something that really pulled me into this album is that you looked at that imagery on the album cover and then you heard those guitar synths and it did feel like it reminded me a lot of uh, it put me in the same mindset as like Queens Reich's The Warning. Like it just felt like this sort of space opera 
that yeah. pulled you right in as soon as you started listening to it. So to, for me, it was the combination of the imagery that the album cover evoked and then also that being matched by the music as soon as I started listening to it. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels sci-fi, doesn't it? It totally does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was a while probably before I saw the album cover because it was a, um, you know, it was a, like a TDK. Sure, yes. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was recorded from the LP. Um, so uh, so I, I didn't know what the album cover looked like for a, for a, a, a week or two. Oh, man. That, that kind of then, you know, really reinforced the message or, 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 or you, know, you know, hardcore sci-fi now. You know, lover of Blade Runner, and um, you know that 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 cover which I'm looking at now. Um, you know, but you just wonder. I mean, how, how long? I've, I've, not, I've never looked up. How long did it take Derek Riggs to do that? You know, it, it's probably a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the most Easter egg laden one, right? That's right. Was it? It's like more than fifty or more than sixty Easter eggs in it. Oh, right? Wow! Wow! But both it, Maiden and Blade Runner related. And it is, I mean, it is one of their best classic covers. It's, do you remember oh, for sure. when we did Maiden, uh, I was talking about the ubiquity of the live mm. after death poster that you could buy, uh -huh. buy in the shops. Well, this was another one because I, I had several mates who had the, the poster of the cover of Somewhere in Time up on their wall because it was such a great image, regardless yeah. of, you know, even separate from the album, just a fantastic piece of artwork. Yeah, and yeah. you know what it made me think of too? It, it wasn't, it's funny, it wasn't Blade Runner that I thought of when I saw this cover. It was Star Frontiers, the role playing game from TSR. That's wow. what, <laughs> well, that's what pulled me in. <laughs> like, I, because again, like, I was so stuck in like always, you know, having stories around the music and I loved music that I could sort of just immerse myself in. And for an album that is, you know, 50 plus minutes long, plus this imagery, like, to me, it just felt like, such a star frontier sort of uh you know space story yeah so yeah. if this was yeah. your if this was your first album and you're sort of your way into both metal and maiden yeah. are there i mean are you able is it a bit like me with halloween where like you're <laughs> in that you're able to see its flaws but you can't bring yourself to not like them if you know what i mean you know you, you like I, like it despite yeah. its flaws yeah, yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean. I mean, I, I, I did a, you know, I did the exercise almost like my own version of Thrash It Out, just working through the tracks. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Deja Vu, I can probably live without. Um, oh, that's uh, one of my favorites. Oh, we're going to have an argument here. <laughs> we should definitely get into it because my first question to Anthony was going to be, what do you mean flaws? <laughs> I'm Come not on. sure what Lone you're talking about. Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, man. I mean... One of the greatest Iron Maiden songs of all time. <laughs> I would cut that in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, see, this is this is good. I'm, I'm glad that we have differing opinions on this one, because this one, this feels to me like, by far, Maiden's most complete album of any album they've ever made. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that was one of the points you guys brought up on the, the Number of the Beast uh, podcast, um, was that, you know, had they done a five-star album, had they done an album which was complete and, you know, the, the, there wasn't a crack on it, there wasn't a flaw on it, there wasn't a track you you wouldn't, uh, the, 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 that was surplus to requirements. Um, and clearly, you know, the, 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 you know, there was at least one track surplus to requirements on Number of the Beast. There's two or three on Peace of Mind, three maybe four uh, arguably on power save um 
So, and then you get into the, you know, the, the, com- the, the Adrian Smith, uh, Bruce Dickinson comeback albums, you know, and you've got so many songs. There's, you know, effectively there's always going to be filler if you've got 11 or more songs. Um, but I think, yeah, I think this, this one is the, for me, it's their closest to, to a proper five star album. Yep, me too. Well, and it's interesting that then, because remember, my favorite is uh, Seventh Son, which is the album yeah. I think directly after this. So yes. even though we may disagree on the details, it's interesting yeah. that we all like this period of Maiden. Yeah, and, and, and I, 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 so Seventh Son was obviously the first Maiden album that I bought, as it were, contemporaneously. That I, I, I bought for myself, and it was not only new to me, it was new to everyone else at the same time. Um, and if memory serves, I think it came out on a bank holiday Monday in the UK, so there were no schools, so I'm, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> so you bought it, sure. went straight home and listened to it ten times. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. We were all, we were, uh, there were loads of us queuing outside the uh, record shop at you know 9am in the morning. Um, but the, the, uh, I, you know, I love that album. That was the first time I saw Maiden live as well. Um, but there's something about the production sound and some of the guitar sounds and the, the drum sound on that album, which it, it, that's one of those albums I would love to hear re-recorded in its entirety yeah. now. Um, the, 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 again, because it was like, yeah, there was something about the guitars on that album that, that, while you had while you had the guitars on somewhere in time and with real guitars as well, it sounded almost like they were trying to make a lot of the guitars just simply sound like keyboards on Seventh Son. Well, yeah, yeah well, they used guitar synths on this album, and this, I believe, unless they've done it more recently, was the only album that they did that on. And That's what right. happened was for Seventh Son, they went to true keyboards for right. yeah, yeah that album, and so it has a sound that is really not like. I mean, it might be similar to what you hear on Seventh Son, but definitely not like what came before it and really not like what came after it. No, that's true. And yeah, I mean, talking about the consistency across the albums, yeah, as you say, this is something that's always, you know, not bothered me about Maiden, but it's like there is no album that's completely flawless. But at least every album, in my opinion, anyway, up through uh, which came first, No Prayer or Fear of the Dark? Uh, no Prayer came first. Right. So up through No Prayer, every album has at least two and often three or four absolute belters, like real Maiden classics for me. And yeah. it's not until you get to Fear of the Dark where you start going, ah, there isn't really anything on this album that I think is necessarily yeah. going to stand the test of time. Because even No right. Prayer has like Tail Gunner and yeah. Bring Your Daughter, which are regardless of what you may think of the politics of bring your daughter um, <laughs> you know it, it is it is a brilliant song you know, uh, you know and so is tail gunner it's a real yeah, maiden yeah. classic do you know that uh i read an article about bring your daughter that is it's about the nightmare on elm street series that's right it was originally written for uh, a film wasn't it it was gonna be a bruce dickinson solo well, oh, I didn't Bruce, know that. So listen to this because it gets even crazier bruce dickinson believed that the underlying theme of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies was about uh, girls having their periods. Yeah. And so, and that Freddie was basically a meta- metaphor for that. And huh. so that is where he wrote that song from, according to the article that I read about that, yeah. which was an interview with him about that, that whole thing. But yeah, that's where, that's where he got that from. Um, but the thing that fascinates me about this album is it was, I think it still might be the album that uh, Adrian Smith had the most 
writing credits on solely for him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it, right. Yeah. And it it arguably has Adrian Smith's best Iron Maiden song on this album, which is "Wasted Years." Although you could certainly <laughs> you could certainly make the argument because he, um, you know, he he wrote uh, Two Minutes to Midnight." He wrote "Flight of Icarus," uh, yeah. "The Wicker Man." I mean, you could certainly make the case that there are, uh, but it's definitely in my top three, probably Adrian Smith songs. And he sang on the B side, which that's was not- what. The name of it, Reach Out. That's right. That's uh, it. Yeah. I think it was Reach Out. But he, like, uh, the funny thing about this album is they had a longer break than they usually took because they had done, I want to say, 187, according to Wikipedia concerts, yeah. over 330 days That's for right. the last tour. They take six months off. They start writing songs for the new album. Bruce Dickinson feels like they need to create a Led Zeppelin esque album for this and starts to write songs that are basically folk acoustic songs he brings those songs to the rest of the band and i want to say they had their manager tell him that's uh, right you're not none of those are getting on the album dude like you're not i'm surprised (laughs) that it wasn't steve harris himself just went fuck off (laughs) that's why but a lot of people think that that's why um the adrian smith presence on this album is so much greater because bruce literally brought nothing to the table that they could work with for this album that's oh, right. So I, they needed stuff in a hurry. Well, not not. I mean, yeah. I think there's there's an element of that. I think. I mean, that's the one thing that the album, in a sense, is missing is is Dickinson contributions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um. You know. Uh, uh, the the what well, the 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 only Dickinson. I mean, number of the beasts. You know. There's all sorts of rumours about how many songs on the album really should have a Bruce Dickinson um, uh, credit. Uh, a co-credit, uh, but of course you you couldn't uh, for legal uh, reasons, yeah, for legal reasons, etc. Couldn't uh, be legally named. Um, so, but because yeah, so it's the only one, it's the only album with a, with a Dickinson vocal where, in theory, he's made no contribution to the songs or the lyrics. Huh. I didn't know Adrian Smith wrote Two Minutes to Midnight. That's one of my favourite Maiden yeah. tracks, like literally one of my all-time favourite Maiden tracks. I had no idea. Yeah, stunning. I think I, I, I'm in agreement. I mean, what wasted years? It, yeah, I mean, I, I did a bit of research looking back, and um, uh, there was an interview with Adrian saying that uh, he was running through some tapes with Steve Harris. Oh, uh, yeah. And you know, you know, like sound this, like sound this, and he got that intro to, to wasted years. Um, and he said, uh, you, you won't like this. It's too commercial. And Steve Harris said, no, no, no. We'll have that one. Um, yeah, I was going to say, come on. This is like, this is a band that, as you said, we're on top of the pops doing run to the hills. I don't think Steve <laughs> Harris has ever shied away from being commercial as long as it's a good song. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that the, the, the Adrian Smith aspect, um, I think that, that, that of this album and, and, and in particular for, for, my love of Maiden, um, you know, clearly it's it, it's Steve's band. You know, everybody knows that, and, and, and everyone in it accepts it. Um, but there is something that Adrian brings, both to you know, the songs that he co-writes or yep. the, the, the the riffs that he supplies, that then Steve Harris rearranges and Bruce puts words to it, or whatever. Or, however, his contributions are, you know, it, it very clearly. You know, without Bruce and without Adrian, quality control, well, not quality control, but just basically the quality went out the window. Just went down, but, yeah. But intriguing that the way Bruce had his, you know, Jethro Tull, Led Zeppelin 3 moment, yep. 
um, after <laughs> world slavery, um, you know, after Seventh Son, again, reading into it, um, supposedly Adrian wanted to do more of that progressive stuff, which you know, would have been ace, but the rest of the band didn't. And they wanted to go back to a more stripped down sound yeah. to approach the songs. Um, and, and, and that was one of the contributing factors to him leaving. Right. Well, and what's, what's interesting about this album for me is, and this was the first Iron Maiden album. This was my first Iron Maiden album. Uh, yeah. somewhere in time, which is why it probably will always be my favorite. But mm. this album ruined Rush for me because <laughs> when I uh, because I never really got into Rush. And then when I heard this album, I was like, this is why I don't like Rush, because this is what Rush should be. They yeah. should be heavier. <laughs> they should be like, you know what I mean? Because, and to me, like this album is uh, almost like the Venn diagram of Queensryche, if you're playing the drinking game right now, and Megadeth. <laughs> Right. Because you have this level of technicality that is just all bordering on scientific, like it's so technically perfect. And then you have these soaring vocals. And on this album in particular, with the synths and everything else, like it just it, it all comes together for me into that sweet spot of like, this is what I wish Iron Maiden sound le- sounded like all the time. This mm. is what I want my sort of prog to sound like this is the th- these this combines things that i love about megadeth that combines things that i love about queensrike like it it all brought it together on this album and uh and in a way almost ruined iron maiden for me as well because this is this is an album that i have in my head as like this is what iron maiden is and anything yeah, yeah. that isn't this album is a disappointment. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's like me with Halloween and the Keeper albums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And and so and they have like I can pick songs off of all of these other albums that I absolutely love. But this, there's something about this album and the the mindset that it immerses you in from start to finish that uh, I don't get from any other Iron Maiden album. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. yeah, hard to argue with that. Yeah. All right. So. Um, uh, Justin, you've been a patron since for about a year, basically since June 2017. Yeah. When did you, how, how and when did you discover Thrash It Out? Um, I was, I was on a sort of a short weekend away with my friend Jonathan. Uh, he'd uh, heard about you guys and we were in Scotland to see some motor racing. So we had a lot of, a lot of driving to do, a lot of queuing to get into the circuit and to get out of the circuit. Um, and he'd heard about you guys, downloaded the first few uh, podcasts. And so I think we got through, um, I think, the, the, yeah, the first one was uh, that I heard was uh, Sang Anger. Um, first episode, yep. An album, an album I can't stand, but which jumped <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zali, he loves the he loves the drum sound. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> and you're still friends with him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we, and then I mean, we, we had enough time in the car to uh, get through that and the uh, the Slayer episode. Uh, Sound of Heaven, right? Yeah. So yeah. And, and and that uh, yeah, so it kind of sort of went from there, I guess. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's how I got into you guys. Fantastic. What is your favourite album that we've covered on the show so far? Oh, difficult. Um, it, what, what it did, what, what I have done as a result of the podcast is that I've gone back, um, I mean, back in the, back in that late eighties period. Um, I 
I, I wasn't into Slayer at the time or Anthrax or Megadeth, but partly through Brian's um, constant uh, mentions of Megadeth, um, <laughs> I, I, I decided right, okay, let's let's give this stuff a go. So um, so I, I, you know, I've, I've now I've now I saw Slayer two years ago with Anthrax supporting. I've not nice. seen I've not I've not seen Megadeth yet. Um, uh, which I'd like to. So it, there's a. So it's it's got me into some of the older stuff. If that if that makes any kind of sense. I mean, yeah, there, there has been um, some stuff that that, that 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 that's come on where it's just been no, sorry, I can't I can't get that at all. You know, um, but with with no no offense to uh, any of the uh, fans of, of those particular bands, but that, that just uh, just just didn't work for me. But yeah, that's fair enough. You know, as we as we always say, that's that that's what makes the world go around, isn't it? If we all liked exactly the same music, it'd be a very very boring place. Exactly. So, well, and I joke, but that's what it make that's what makes Saint Anger so fascinating to talk about, right? It's the reason we chose that album yeah, because yeah. there are differing opinions on that album. There are people who who like the sound of Lars's drums. There are people who like the length of the songs on that album and just the raw aggression of that album. And it's it's uh, that's why we do the show is because it's so much yeah. fun to talk about how we look at that stuff differently. Absolutely. Yeah, Obviously, I I love King's X. I absolutely love King's X, and it was you know it was my choice that you happened to pick. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. On Thrash It Out, which I know there's a lot of people that didn't like it, um, <laughs> yeah, which, which was which was which was fun going through the Facebook group and seeing the reactions because um, it, it it's it, they're, they're such a cornerstone band for me, um, which is all a bit bizarre in, in a roundabout way because. Uh, you know, their the very first album, it, you know, th- they were effectively, you know, a, a Christian metal band. You know, th- th- it wasn't in your face, but but effectively, you know, 90% of the songs are about, you know, biblical parables and um, uh, and, and, and faith. Um, but I suppose after that first album, they, they drop all that. Um, but, it was, you know, it was just fascinating to see everyone else's reaction to something that was a part of my life growing up. And and yet, you know, so many people hadn't heard of them at all. Which, yeah. you know, to me, was like, have you not heard of them? I mean, it, I, 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 my impression was that they were in the UK press a lot uh, at the time. You know, the, the the album covers, the very first album cover was was was, was fantastic, and that's probably part of the reason um, I, I, I picked it up at the time. But again, you, you go back to that, and I don't know, uh, Anthony, you've referenced it on the previous podcast. You know, mid to late eighties in the UK. I mean, there was Kerrang, there was Metal Hammer, what, about 88, 89, Raw, R.A.W. magazine came in. Yeah, Terrorizer as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Oh, that actually was Terrorizer early 90s rather than late 80s? Yeah, might might have been, yeah. Yeah. And you had the Friday Night Rock Show on on Radio 1. Um, You had Fluff Freeman doing the Capital Radio Rock Show in London. Um, But otherwise, if it wasn't charting... You couldn't hear it. Yeah, you could only, you could only read about it. So you know, you were really having to take a punt back in those days. You know, you having to trust the you know the writer and you know, what they said in the review. You go, oh, all right, I'll, I'll part with my five pound ninety nine for the cassette copy or whatever it was back then. Um, you know, and I'll give it a go. Whereas, of course, the, the great thing today is. Yeah, the bands have got their own videos on the websites. You think, oh, well, oh, well, let's, let's let's give that a play. Oh, I quite like that one. Let's try another one. Okay, yeah, I like those two tracks. Right, I'll I'll buy the album straight from the artist then. Well, or if you're uh, on a streaming service, you can literally yeah. listen to the entire album. You know, f- for 
not for free, obviously, but for no extra cost. Yeah. Which is nuts. Um, funnily enough, actually, that's something that's going to come up in the next episode when we do our next regular episode. Uh, the role of, yeah, sort of trusting reviewers and stuff, uh, right. is, yeah, going to be part of the discussion about that Entombed album. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that it's that, um, yeah, uh, certainly on, 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 you know, Kerrang, Kerrang and Metal Hammer, you know, there, there was that element of the journalists were, you know, starting to become, you know, names in their own right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and you, you know, you thought, well, you know, so-and-so recommended that album, you know, and now they're recommending this one. Well, I like that, the previous recommendation. I'll try this one. Um, so that, yeah, it's, but yeah, it's intriguing the way the uh, consumption has changed. Yeah. And so, I need to thank you too about the, that King's X album, because that was an album that I did not really have any familiarity with. And I, I love it. It's a fantastic album. And King's X had always been a band that I knew about and, ooh you know, appreciated certain songs from, but didn't appreciate them enough back in their heyday. And that album is amazing, especially because I'm so in love with KXM, which is his, you know, Ray Luzier and, and uh, George Lynch project that Doug Pinnock does. Uh, it really gave me a new appreciation for the King's X stuff. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'd literally never heard anything by them. I'd heard, <laughs> I had heard of them. I'll, I'll say that, yeah, but that yeah. was probably because of the music press, as you say, you know, Kerrang Metal Hammer and so on. Uh, but I'd never heard a single song by them until we did that album. So if nothing else, thank you for sort of broadening my horizons. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned that the seventh Sun tour was the first time you've seen Maiden Life. How many times have you seen them? Um, I saw them that one and on No Prayer. Uh, then didn't see them again until the Clive Burr uh, uh, fundraising gigs at Brixton Academy in, what, 2002, 2003? And then thereafter, I've seen every single I've, – I've, I've seen them at least – I've seen them once every time they've played London. Wow. So I've you know, seen them at the O2, seen them at Earl's Court Arena, seen them at um, Twickenham with the um, – you know, when they did the um, uh, 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 World Slavery retro tour – um, which was absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, seeing Ryan with the Ancient Mariner, you know, seeing Ryan, Ryan with the Ancient Mariner live, you know, complete with the stage set doing all that it, you know, all that it did on the World Slavery Tour videos. Did they uh, fully recreate the whole World Slavery set then? Um, it yes, yeah, the, the actual stage set, yes. Yeah. Uh, wow. But it, it wasn't entirely the same set list. So they, they did. Oh, no, no, really, sorry. I meant the stage yeah, set. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, yeah the physical staging. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because, yeah, so, I, I've seen videos of that, of the original World Slavery Tour of them doing Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, and, yeah, that's that's a lot of dry ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, if you haven't lost your voice by the time you get to that point, then you <laughs> swallowing the dry ice, and, and then you have lost yeah. it. Um, obviously, I, 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 we're, yeah, but we're talking now in early July, uh, and Maiden play London in a month's time, so um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll be there for that one. Um, but um, I, 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 I remember my the first Maiden T-shirt I had was the Somewhere in Time uh, T-shirt, uh, and I was wearing that on a on a summer holiday in it would have been probably summer of '88 somewhere in southern Spain or something like that, uh, and got out with the family to do the the the, the shopping. We we're you know staying in a sort of bed and breakfast accommodation. Um, went out to get some shopping f food, whatever. Uh, I'm leaning over the, uh, the the freezer cabinet to dig, dig out a pizza or something, and someone says to me, oh, what's your favourite album? And I was, uh, look, 
who are they talking to? Who are they? Oh, they're me. What, what's going on? And uh, there was a guy opposite me, uh, opposite the, uh, the freezer cabinet. What's your favourite maiden name? What's your favourite maiden track? And that was my first time, you know, just randomly. <laughs> uh, yeah, running into someone. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the maiden. T- and then you just start, you started seeing maiden T-shirts everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like we, it's like we said before about Slayer fans, isn't it? It's like, you know, there are, they're so, they're such a huge band that wherever you go, you're going to run into people who have heard and probably like Maiden, uh, you know, yeah. wherever you go in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's quite n- nice now that bands are doing those sort of bespoke or semi bespoke shirts. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not just for that tour, it's for that venue or it's for that country. Uh, yes, yeah. So, so I, I saw uh, Dave Gilmore at the Albert Hall a couple of times in the, in, in, in the last few years. Uh, and there was a couple of guys who had been to the Pompeii gig and they were wearing the Pompeii gig T-shirts. Oh, wow. Like, ah. Yes, yeah, so Metallica does that too. Yeah, I got that jealousy. for their Gillette Stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Respect and jealousy at the same time. Man, that's crazy. Brian, how many times have you seen Maiden? I've only seen them twice, and I didn't see them until the mid-2000s for the very first time. I saw them when they, uh, the infamous Ozfest tour oh. that ended with uh, them having eggs thrown at them on stage. These uh, colors turn Yeah. And that was in 2005, in July of 2005, July 17th, 2005, actually, in about a half hour from where I live. And then I saw them in 2017, almost to the day. I saw them on July 19th, 2017 (laughs) in Massachusetts. And the first time I saw them on OzFest, they didn't even play anything off of the album yeah. Even as an encore, whereas in Mansfield, uh, when I saw them in Massachusetts, they played Wasted Years as their closing number of their encore. Yeah. Uh, Interesting choice it. for a closer, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they don't play a lot of songs off of this album, period. Like, and they, they actually never have. Well, exactly. And, and, and this is one of the points I wanted to make is that, you know, obviously, you know, I've got to, I've had to reconcile myself to the fact that. You know, yes, they occasionally play Wasted Years. Yeah. My, probably my favorite on the album and ergo my favorite Adrian Smith is Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah. All right. Um, And they only played that on that tour. I believe it. And on the first five nights of the Ed Hunter tour, which was um, Canada and North America. So I've never heard them play my favorite song live. Oh man. So don't they not play um, Somewhere in Time live? Because that's, my God. You'd think, right? It would yeah. be like a staple of their thing. Uh, before we move off of uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, though, I don't know if you, there's an interesting story behind that particular song. I'm trying to find it because I read it in an interview. Um, obviously, it, the, the title of the song takes, uh, you know, homage from, from the book, but there was a song, there was a story about, um, oh, here it is. This is an interview. Uh, the Adrian Smith song, Stranger in a Strange Land, although inspired by the title of a Robert Heinlein book, it is, has a strange origin. Adrian remembered a story that was published in the press a few years ago about this old sailor who was found dead, perfectly preserved in the ice of the North Pole. In fact, he was a member of an expedition that had disappeared after an iceberg had struck their ship. When they found his body, they awarded him a posthumous medal. That's right. Yeah. Huh. That's yeah. No, okay. Didn't and know so, that. So, 
what what would it be like if you were yeah you, if you, you woke be, up yeah yeah woke up and what would you make of the world and how would you feel yeah uh, um, yeah I, I, yeah I, again I mean br- brilliant lyrics again and it, it, it's story lyrics you know the, the, uh, a lot of the so- songs are telling stories in their own way uh, absolutely well and Maiden and, have always been great about that haven't they yeah and I love that about them. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it, it's it's. I think it just makes songs more interesting than you know, boy meets girl. Um, <laughs> well, that's still a story. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, their their sort of fascination with telling specifically sort of fantasy, sci-fi, and horror stories. You know, like almost <laughs> recreating the genre within their music. I mean, it's not unique, but it is. No. They're, they're one of the most consistent bands doing it, and you know, yeah. I think you've got to you've got to admire their. Uh, resolve to like no this is what we do it may not be yep. fashionable you know it's 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 arguable whether it was ever fashionable it's certainly not fashionable these days but right. no fuck it we're gonna keep doing it you know i i really yeah. respect that yeah i do too and obviously you know their fondness for, for for ancient history and ancient history in particular so obviously you know the closing track again which they which they i think they've never played live alexander the great uh, another uh, great track yeah there is some footage on YouTube somewhere in the last, on one of the more recent tours, um, where they're playing uh, Athens or, or probably in, in, in Greece, and the the audience starts to sing it, and oh, you can wow. almost, almost like, oh, oh my god, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And of course they don't do it. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. That, 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 that spoken intro, you know, my son asked for myself another kingdom for that which I leave is too small for thee. You know, that, that, that's just, that just sets it all up. And the, you know, the, and the huge instrumental section was, 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 was astonishing, uh, you know, to, to, to my ears and heart back then. And, but just that whole, uh, the way that, you know, you get that biography of Alexander the Great distilled down into eight, eight minutes. It's a literal history lesson. Like, it is, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> well, we, 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 my friends and I love the song so much. We used the lyric, lyrics in a, um, classical studies lesson at school, but we used the lyrics as if they were our own observations. <laughs> was, was saying to the teacher, Oh, didn't he free to, uh, swear to free all of Asia Minor? And <laughs> he spread that far and wide, didn't he? And didn't he pay for the way for Christianity? So, you know, you know, just uttering the lines from the song, but trying to, trying to say them without half singing them. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, I, I, let's bring this to a close then. Uh, Justin, thanks ever so much for coming on uh, and, and for supporting the show. Where can people find you uh, online? Uh, 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 my Twitter feed, such as it is, which is, uh, at Stan's film blog. Um, and it's at Stan's film blog because I occasionally run and haven't updated in ages my film blog because I'm a, a film nut as well as a maiden nut. Ah. Um, so, so pr- probably just the at Stan's film blog. All right. Suffice. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, okay and thank you to everyone out there for listening of course remember if you enjoy thrash it out please spread the word rate us on itunes and google play and all those places and if you want to support the show and be in with a chance of getting your own backstage pass go to patreon.com slash thrash it out and pledge today that is all for now and we'll see you next time take care cheers <laughs>